Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is Irish Emigrants on the American Frontier. Over the last month I was in the US where I was honoured to be invited to the American Irish Historical Society in New York. The recording of that event will be available for patrons shortly. While I was in the US I also spent time in Nebraska as well. In both New York and Nebraska, I visited archives trying to track down the stories of Irish emigrants in the USA, specifically relating to the story and aftermath of the Great Famine. I got incredible letters in a New York archive, and they are currently being made into the next Famine podcast, which covers later 1848. These provide extremely vivid first-hand accounts, which have never, as far as I'm aware, been published before. This show might be three weeks in the making, but it'll be well worth the wait and I'll have another bonus show for you guys in the meantime. But today's episode is also based on first-hand accounts I got in the US from an archive in Nebraska about life on the frontier there. Now these are fascinating because they shed light on an Irish experience in the US that we rarely think of. That is, the frontier in the West rather than in New York or Boston. Now, background to this story is crucial, and to explain it, I'm going to tell you a bit about the time I spent in Nebraska, where it is, and what life is like there today, because you, like most people, are probably not very sure where exactly Nebraska is, or what it looks like. The idea, or rather the question, that prompted this podcast started during a short car journey between the city of Lincoln and the nearby town of Denton. Both are in the US state of Nebraska. Lincoln is a major city. Denton is the smallest of small towns. But maybe I should backtrack a bit and explain what I was doing in Nebraska in the first place because it's not the sort of place tourists tend to go. In fact, the state slogan is Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. I'm actually not kidding. That's the official slogan. Honestly, not for everyone. Google it if you don't believe me. Now when you get there, you kind of see where this slogan comes from. I found Nebraska incredible, but it is unusual. I guess the best place to start is by describing where Nebraska is located. 
So it's in the dead centre of the United States. There are three states to the north before you reach the Canadian border and three states to the south before you reach the Mexican border. It's located on the Great Plains, but this is not as evocative or exciting as it implies. The Great Plains are flat lands that stretch over thousands of miles, often seeming unending and featureless. These vast expanses of Nebraska are intensely rural, with a tiny population. It's far more remote than Ireland is. Although its landmass is twice the size of the island of Ireland, its population is just under 2 million people, most of whom live in the southeastern corner of the state, in the cities of Lincoln and Omaha, which are only an hour apart. Finally, it's worth saying the weather is pretty extreme. It's bitterly cold in winter and pretty hot in summer. When I was there in early March, it had snowed heavily through the previous month, but temperatures had rarely reached above freezing, so the collections of snow hadn't melted. The night I arrived, it was minus 15 Celsius, about 10 Fahrenheit. This is really, really cold for someone coming from Ireland, which is relevant to this podcast. So by this point, you're probably wondering if there's not much to see there and the weather is pretty harsh. Why did I visit? Well, this brings me back to the car journey where the idea for this podcast came from. I was traveling with two friends, Nick and Diane, who had come to Nebraska to visit. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'd been in New York to speak at the American Irish Historical Society. But while there, I took the opportunity to fly out to Nebraska to visit Nick and Diane, who live in Lincoln. I had told them that I would like to see rural, small-town America while I was there, and this is what led us to take this car journey on the road to Denton. Denton is a tiny rural village with less than 200 people, but it does have the Denton Daily Double, a diner that's also a kino bar, a surprisingly entertaining form of bingo, although the excitement is probably influenced by the fact that it takes place in a bar. But for me, this town was going to be my experience of small-town America, something so often featured in press and films, but seems in some ways fictional. So one evening, after Diane and Nick finished work, we travelled 12 miles along dead straight roads through rural Nebraska. This journey was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. The weather was bitterly cold, but as we travelled out to Denton, Nick pulled off the road into a national park. We drove in about a mile and eventually came to a car park. If this sounds something like a true crime podcast, it felt a bit like it. We even joked about this along the route. Our mission though was pretty harmless. We had come to see bison, or what's left of bison in the national park. These once roamed the Great Plains in herds of millions, but now a handful of lonely, forlorn beasts were penned into what seemed like a small enclosure when compared to the Great Plains, a relic of another era. While it was simultaneously amazing and somewhat tragic to see an animal that is strangely synonymous with the US, in my mind at least, but was nearly hunted to extinction in the late 19th century to make way for American farms, there was still something distracting me while I looked at them. Standing in this frozen national park with wind blowing cold air, there was something else about the landscape that was unnerving. It was almost flat in all directions. It's hard to describe how I felt, but I think unnerving articulates it best because there was very little on the horizon. There was no mountains or hills in the distance. Nothing. Even though the car was behind us and there were several other cars not far along the road, there was a sense of solitude in this unending landscape. It was unrelenting and the snow-masked features in the landscape only enhancing this. It was reminiscent in some ways of the Sahara Desert which I had visited on a trip to Morocco in the early 2000s. Now we didn't wait long looking at the bison. It was too cold. 
Back in the car, we continued along the road for a few miles and reached Denton and its famous diner, the Daily Double. Towards the end of the night, it was even colder, well below zero. Along quiet country roads, we joked more about how this environment was the inspiration for true crime podcasts or maybe where the Coen brothers came up with the idea for their film Fargo or perhaps the setting for a movie like The Revenant. This bleak, frozen wilderness though, that is apparently lush in summer, was increasingly posing a fascinating question for me. What I had seen must have been something what Nebraska looked like when the first Irish emigrants who came to this part of the world started to arrive in the later 19th century. I was wondering what did they make of this strange landscape and even more the bitter cold. How did they survive? Now earlier in that same day in the History Museum in Lincoln, I had seen pictures of the earliest houses built by European colonists in Nebraska in the later 19th century. There were very few, if any, native trees at the time, so they had to build their houses from clay. I couldn't fathom how someone could bed down in this in a Nebraskan winter, where it could be up to minus 30 degrees Celsius. Did they freeze to death at night? Particularly those who had come from Ireland, where temperatures rarely fall far below freezing. So the next day, I went to the Nebraska State Historical Society in Lincoln. And with the help of archivists, I was able to locate some accounts gathered in the 1930s from Irish emigrants who had arrived in Nebraska way back in the 1870s. And they revealed fascinating stories of people experiencing the same things I did, but in far more difficult conditions. So after what has been a somewhat long-winded introduction, we're going to look at their stories now. The current state of Nebraska lay far beyond the frontiers when the United States came into existence in 1776. It was part of the vast Louisiana Territory, which the United States government had bought from the French in 1803. While technically this massive landmass, which stretched from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border, was owned by the United States after this deal, the reality on the ground was very different. There were almost no white people living in the region, which was then inhabited by numerous Native American tribes, none of whom had been consulted about the land transfer. However, by the mid-19th century, the US government began to violently attack the Native Americans of the Great Plains. The bison integral to their way of life were slaughtered, while the people themselves were forced onto reservations to make way for white settlements. And then, in the 1860s, large numbers of Europeans, including Irish people, began to cross the Missouri River into what is now eastern Nebraska to settle. For some of them, at least, this land must have been so strange. As we have seen, the weather was brutal and the land seemingly unending. Now, while Ireland is extraordinarily different, even those travelling from the east coast of the US would never really have seen anything like the expanses of the Great Plains. So I wanted to find out how and if they survived and what they made of these surroundings. When I visited the Nebraska State Historical Society in Lincoln, the archivists there showed me the records of something called the Works Progress Administration. This body, created in the 1930s by President Roosevelt, employed millions of Americans who had lost their jobs in the Great Recession. Now this included a huge oral history project that collected testimonies from older generations who remembered the early days of European settlement in the region and this provided answers to lots of my questions. The first of these testimonies that I found really insightful was not from an Irish emigrant but an American Dutch man called Charles Hager whose family arrived in Nebraska in the 1880s. His words give us some sense of what it must have been like and just exactly how dangerous the Nebraskan winters were. 
for these people. Hager began, I was born in Monroe County, Iowa. Albia is the name of the town. I started school there. We came here to Nebraska in the year of the great snowstorm, 88. Had an uncle here. Father drove through. He got in with another guy. They each had a wagon. They got as far as Lincoln. When they left Lincoln, the other guy froze both legs. They had to be taken off. I don't know what became of him. This began to give me some sense of how they survived. The man who accompanied Charles Hager's father lost both his legs to frostbite in the bitter cold. It's not surprising, but we often like to think of our ancestors as somewhat hardier, made of sterner stuff. They weren't. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. They were the same flesh and blood as us, even perhaps a somewhat more malnourished version of ourselves. So they suffered just like we would. Indeed, it seems European settlers were woefully unprepared for what awaited them in Nebraska. Charles Hager's memories of the 1880s continued. Mother and the two girls came here by train. They stayed with uncle. He lived southeast of Hastings, close to where the brickyard is. He lived in a tent banked up with earth. Mother and two sisters lived with uncle in that tent. Had corn stalks to burn. When the father came, they all lived here a while. In the spring, they moved to a clay house. That gives us some sense of just how the early waves of European settlers were trying to survive the early winters on what was then the frontier. Entire families living in tents banked up with earth, presumably to provide insulation. This was because, as I mentioned earlier, Nebraska was almost completely devoid of trees in the late 19th century. This gives us some sense of the general picture and what people had to do to survive. The next account is from an individual recorded as Mrs. John Donnelly. Her first name was not mentioned, but she was actually born in Ireland and came to Nebraska as a child. We're going to hear her fascinating account after this short break. Last week was the ninth anniversary since I released the first episode of the Irish History Podcast way back in 2010. I can't believe the show has been running now for nine years. It all started as a way to keep me busy when I developed a chronic illness and couldn't work. Now, several years later, it's what I work at and it's a real dream come true. Strange as it sounds, but I've often said, even though it started out with an illness, I wouldn't change a single thing that has led me to this point. I'm eternally grateful for all of you who support my work on Patreon or through my website. The show takes a lot of research and it means so much to me that you have helped me take the time needed to research each show. Now, if you want to support my work, you can sign up on Patreon today 
at patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. And if you do that, you also get lots of bonus content. This includes a 20 minute documentary on the famine only available on Patreon. Bonus podcasts, 10% off all my tours, episode guides, ad free episodes of the show, which you get several days before they're released online. Now you can get all this and support my work into the future at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Irish podcast. Now, as I mentioned before the break, the next account we're going to hear is from a woman called Mrs. John Donnelly, and her account is full of amazing detail. She talks about her journey west, which is fascinating. The account also mentions a place where she came from in Ireland, which she describes as Ballymats, spelled with a Z. Irish spellings never use a Z, so maybe she is talking about Ballymac in County Louth or somewhere entirely different. Perhaps her memory was fading. This interview was given 75 years after the woman had left Ireland. These are her words. I was born in Ballymats, Ireland in 1861. My folks came to America in my early childhood, settling in Fairbury, Illinois. During the Chicago fire, it was in the fall of 1871, we came to Sutton, Nebraska and filed on a homestead seven miles southwest of town. This is interesting in itself. She seems to link her family's decision to move west to the Chicago fire which burned down 100,000 houses in the city in 1871. It is somewhat strange because they lived in Fairbury which is 100 miles south of Chicago itself. That said though, there were considerable anti-Irish sentiments in Illinois in the 1870s. Not unrelated to this was the fact that an Irish woman, Miss O'Leary, was falsely blamed for accidentally starting that fire. In any case, Mrs Donnelly went on to describe what it was like in Nebraska in the 1870s. The country was all open prairie. Our nearest neighbour lived 1.5 miles distant. We had built a sod house and broke a patch of land with our oxen and planted corn and garden stuff. We had plenty of rain and everything grew. We got lots of corn and lots of vegetables. We made a cellar and stored our vegetables for the winter. We usually had cornbread on our table. Prairie chickens were plentiful. They provided us with meat. Of course, the men had to go out and shoot them, but there were so many, they always got some. Our vegetables lasted till the next summer. There are a couple of things in this that I found interesting. First of all, the open prairie would have been unlike anything in Ireland, and it clearly stood out to Mrs Donnelly. Her words are also certainly a glowing account of early frontier life. Whether this is memories through rose-tinted glasses is hard to know, but I will return to this because... Her account continued along these lines. We had no papers to read in those days. The neighbours would all come together at one place this Sunday and then another the next until they had made the round. Then they would do it over and over again. This way we all got the news. The neighbours would talk over their work, experiences and plans. Children would romp about the place, play and enjoy themselves. In their more gay moods, the old folks would sing songs such as Golden Slippers, Silver Threads, when you and I were young, home sweet home Kitty Wells and many others, they were all happier than people are today. This is really interesting because her memories of going from house to house for entertainment is very reminiscent of what Peg Sayers, who featured in the last podcast, described when she remembered her childhood in West Kerry around the same time. Now statements like her words that people were happier in those days always make me dubious because people often tend to have fond memories of their youth 
But in this case, I think there may be something to what Mrs. Donnelly is saying. When she gave this account, it was in 1938 when the US was still in the depths of the Great Depression. The poverty many were enduring was utterly crushing. So days when they were able to live self-sufficiently on the frontier in the 1870s would unquestionably have been much better. In her following words, Mrs. Donnelly goes on to describe how a community was forged on that frontier in those early days when there was little or no infrastructure. At first, there was no school in the neighbourhood. After a few years, we built a small school building. We had three months of schooling during the year. Reading, writing, arithmetic and geography were taught. Most of the pupils learned to read and write and figure enough to get them through the world at the time. We didn't need much of the foolishness taught in schools nowadays. We were Catholics. At first, we had no services. Later, when a missionary came to Sutton, we went to church there. The trip was not fast because our oxen took their time. In winter, we burned corn stalks, tumbling weeds and ox chips to keep warm. Later on, we had some coal in winter. The account concluded with what is a pretty strange memory about the Aurora Borealis. Also known as the Northern Lights, it is a multicoloured display visible in the night sky. This is actually very unusual in Nebraska, probably as rare as it is in Ireland. It's normally more visible further north. But Mrs Donnelly witnessed it as a child and this revealed much about how people, even just 130 years ago, were confounded by things we have a pretty good understanding of today. For these people, in what was then a strange land to them, with a strange climate, the night sky turning green petrified them. Mrs Donnelly remembered the people were pretty sensible in the early days. Of course, some had peculiar ideas about the northern lights which were seen every fall and spring. They were much greater then than they are now. People couldn't explain the cause of the northern lights. Some were afraid of them. They thought that changes were going on in the world. Some people were really afraid of something they didn't really know what. To conclude the story of life on the frontier in Nebraska, this is a short account from Clement Flynn, a second generation Irish American who lived in the region around this time in the late 19th century. He was interviewed in late 1938 at the age of 76. For 45 years, he had been selling something called The Great Remedy across Nebraska and the neighbouring state of Colorado. This book reveals people's very basic understanding of healthcare, but also what medicines were available to them at the time. When he uses the word receipt, he just means a list of ingredients. I got the receipt for a medicine which I have made and sold for 45 years in Nebraska and Colorado. I call it The Great Remedy. It contains garden sage, labelia, gum of myrrh and peppermint. A chemist in Topeka, Kansas, analysed it. He said it was as good as any medicine in the world. It cures anything. Pains, colds, pneumonia, rheumatism, arthritis, burns. When you don't feel well, you just take a teaspoonful twice a day and let it do the work. One lady here in Hastings, over 80, claimed it cured her sight. It does miracles. This is the label on the bottle. The Great Remedy, C. Flynn, Yuma, Colorado. Guaranteed under the Food and Drug Act 1906, serial number 2437. Contains no opium or morphine and less than 12% alcohol. For neuralgia and toothache, use it warm, bathe the face and gums until the pain is gone. This stuff was nearly as potent as wine, but the health benefits were surely pretty limited. While Clement Flynn was clearly a quack when it came to medicine, and a world where people believed in such remedies seemed so very distant to us. This is not really what I took from looking through these archives in Nebraska. Most of the accounts of early European settlers reveal 
people very similar to us. They suffered much like we would in this environment and were amazed by the environment, the landscape and the strange world they found themselves in. And I think they reacted much the same as we would in that situation. This is where I'm going to leave today's show, folks. In the coming weeks, I have another bonus show out. It's an interview with Neil Jackman, an archaeologist who excavated the Hellfire Club, a building outside Dublin that's regarded as one of the most haunted spots in Ireland. That's a really fascinating interview. That's with Neil Jackman, and that'll be out in about 10 days or two weeks. Meanwhile, I'm going to be continuing to work on the next Great Famine episode. As I said at the start of the show, that's going to be a great episode. It's going to probably be pretty long. That'll be out in about three, three and a half weeks. And that's going to be the first of about six or eight that will conclude the Great Famine series. So until next time, Sloan. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 